Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys. This is the Cowboys Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Cowboys Wire editor, K.D. Drummond. All right, welcome back to the program. It's episode six of the Cowboys Wire podcast. I can't believe we've gotten to episode six so fast. I'm Ryan O'Leary. I'm here, as always, with Cowboys Wire editor Katie Drummond. And Katie, what's good in what's good in Dallas right now? Is there anything good in Cowboys Nation? There is absolutely nothing good about this Cowboys no good. There's team nothing right good. now. No good. It's um. Well, I, I will say this: the performance of Dak Prescott is just amazing in the face of what he has to face yes that was the quietest fi- at the end of the game <laughs> that was the quietest 500 yards i've ever seen anyone throw for you know what i mean it was so casual and, 500 yards and honestly honestly the last three games he, he's obviously set the nfl record for three consecutive games with over 450 yards passing but each of those games has been a quiet ascent to that total he does not seem to be stressing in order to get this he has some big plays but he's just basically killing whatever defense is out in front of him. Now, there were several passes in this game for the first time this year, multiple passes where there probably should have been interceptions on the end of them. He threw an interception at the end of the game. That wasn't on his fault. Amari Cooper stopped his route at the goal line. He took credit. He took blame, I should say. He took blame for stopping his route short and thinking that he had time to do something else when it was a timing throw from Dak. But there were several passes that the Browns dropped. But regardless of that, this man has now thrown for 1,690 yards in four games. Crazy. It, it, it's beyond crazy. That's on pace for over 6,700 yards when the record for the NFL is 5,477. Incredible. So 1,300 yards, he's, he's on pace to surpass what Peyton Manning did back in 2013. He's playing at an incredible level. That's really the only thing that you can point to from this team. The wide receivers are good. Cooper made the mistake, but you don't blame him. He had 12 receptions, 134 yards, and a touchdown. Trevon Diggs shows bright spots, but he's still getting abused more often than not when it comes to the cornerback position and being able to be a sound defender. The defense basically played the worst game that we've seen since the Rob Ryan era. Guys were out of position. Guys weren't hustling. Guys were slow to react. They looked confused. They looked like they were freelancing. It's a lot of things that Dallas has to fix in order to get back on track. Yeah, and it's like the Browns are just lining up and running the football. And at some point, you like you wrote, Katie, on the Cowboys wire. And there was some gold on the Cowboys wire. I want to actually give some shout-outs to you and your correspondents because you guys had some great stuff on the uh, on the wire. But you said uh, Dallas's poorest defense is shorthanded, but at some point, players need to step up and defend their turf, right? You, they got to step up and just like somebody's got to hit someone. Buckle the chin strap up and make a play. They're just not yep. doing that. Yeah, uh, the first several weeks, you could blame the scheme because you saw the efforts, you saw the guys reacting probably, but they're in their head now. This was one of the things that I warned about the Seattle game in week three. I said the Cowboys really need to get off of this up and down roller coaster to convince themselves that they need to believe in the coaching staff. That's really what they have to do. Coming off of, you know, a coaching change in the offseason, not a lot of time to work through things, the disappointment of the Rams game, the way that they had to come back against Atlanta. That week three game was their opportunity to cement themselves and say, hey, we have a good thing going here. And they didn't get it done. They had to have another comeback and it fell short. And clearly, clearly the defense does not believe in what they're seeing. They do not believe in what they're being taught. And they have to fix this ship. I haven't I have an article coming out as of the time of this recording today. So by the time this goes live, the article will be up. So make sure you check Cowboys Wire for the seven statistics that can amaze, impress, and depress you <laughs> from this game and from this first part of the season. Great headline. The Cowboys gave up 
49 points to the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield was not involved in a single play that went longer than 16 yards. That's wild. It's just on the ground. There wasn't. There, it, it was completely on the ground. It was trick plays with the wide receivers running the ball, wide receiver throws, all of that. Baker Mayfield couldn't throw his way out of a brown paper bag. You saw what happened when the Cowboys got very close. They had trimmed the lead to three. They had, the Browns had a chance to uh, seal the game. And I'm uh, sorry, right before the Cowboys uh, trimmed the lead to three. But they had a chance to basically cement the game. Baker Mayfield missed Odell Beckham by 10, 15 yards mm-hmm. on a third down play. It was just a completely egregious overthrow. He was not capable of beating this team, yet they still gave up 49 points to such an inept quarterback performance. You've never seen anything like that before. 300 yards on the ground. Cowboys, it was their worst defensive rushing performance in the history of the of the franchise. They gave up 1,600 yards on the ground last year in 2019. Through four games, they've already given up over 1,000 yards on the ground. That's, that's unacceptable. Nope. They have to figure this out and quickly. Yeah, and, and as one of your correspondents wrote on the Cowboys Wire, uh, Tony Thompson, he said it uh, won't be long before Dallas fans are putting the uh, brown paper bags on their heads. You talked about the brown paper bag. Yeah. <laughs> he said yeah, um, CDC approval still pending on that one. <laughs> yeah, t- Tony and I tend to go back and forth uh, while the games are going on, and he is probably as irate as I am about this yeah. performance. A little bit more, a little bit more colorful than I am. I- I'm a little colorful <laughs> on my uh, on my other podcast, but as far as writing, I let Tony have some leeway with the color, yeah, uh, because I, I can't exactly do it all the time. Yeah, so. yeah. I love it. And then another one, Todd Brock, and this one, this one has got to stick in the craw, Cowboys fans, right? I mean. The Browns' leading rusher on the afternoon is this undrafted free agent, Dearness Johnson, from yep. the Alliance League, right? A guy who, uh, as the Fox broadcast team breathlessly mentioned, I'm reading from Todd's uh, story, as the broadcast team breathlessly mentioned several times, was working on a fishing boat while waiting for a break with a team. Are you serious? Like, this yeah. kid came in and looked yeah. like he was, uh, you know, it, it looked like he was Nick Chubb. Yeah, all credit goes to Bill Callahan, and I talked about this on last week's show. The Cowboys fans, they're familiar with Bill Callahan. He was the architect of the rebirth of the Great Wall of Dallas, didn't get along with Jason Garrett, ended up departing ways where the franchise went to Washington for a little bit. They had a regime change. So he ended up landing in Cleveland where they have an absolute ridiculous amount of talent along that offensive line. He's taken guys that were stars already and made them great. Wills coming out of Alabama, he switched him from the right tackle to the left tackle side. Well, Wyatt Teller was a nobody. General consensus was that he was on the bubble of the roster before Callahan got his got his hands on him, and now he's playing at an all-pro level at guard. It's amazing what can happen when you have extremely talented guys like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But the true testament to an offensive line coach is what happens when you have to get a guy, not even off the street, off of the pier. They got this guy off of the pier, and he was the leading rusher in the game. He absolutely exposed the Dallas defense. They wanted none of it. They were getting blown off the ball. Don Terry Poe, Tristan Hill played horrible games in the middle. Jalen Smith was late in his pursuit and recognizing what was happening. The safeties, the one bright spot, I should say, on the defense was replacing the safety, Darian Thompson, with Donovan Wilson. Wilson came to play. He came to hit. He might have some inexperience issues, but at least he came to do run fits and hit when he saw somebody that needed to get hit. But outside of that, the defensive performance was not where it needed to be on Sunday. All right, so much more to get to. I definitely want to talk a little bit more about this Mike McCarthy era in Dallas that's off to a, a, a terrible start. Who deserves the blame? We can't talk about any Cowboys win right now, KD, so we gotta have to, we're going to have to talk about who we should blame the most. So that should be fun. We'll do Let's that do here it. coming up. We'll, yeah. we'll do that coming up. <laughs> Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. 
sit them, start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about fantasy football strong plays for Week 5. Quarterback Teddy Bridgewater faces the Atlanta Falcons, which is the worst defense of quarterbacks through four weeks. Atlanta has many injuries on the back end, but Carolina has plenty of ways to exploit this defense. It has been so bad, even Nick Foles threw three touchdowns and a half just a couple weeks ago. With Matthew Stafford and Aaron Rodgers on a bye, consider Teddy Bridgewater as a viable starting quarterback. Jacksonville Jaguars running back James Robinson has the best matchup in the league for rushing yards generated. Houston has given up 651 yards on the ground in four games, including six rushing touchdowns. That's one every 20 carries. In addition, running backs have added another touchdown through the air. There's no telling how Houston will respond to the firing of head coach Bill O'Brien this week, but what we do know is this is a prime matchup to be exploited, and Robinson should be a running back too in all redraft lineups. Indianapolis Colts wide receiver Zach Pascal has a fine matchup of his own. The Cleveland Browns have given up eight touchdowns in four games against wide receivers. Names on the list include the likes of Willie Sneed, Mike Thomas, no, not to that Mike Thomas, and Dontrell Inman. As you can see, that's not exactly a high bar to cross. Pascal will have some ups and downs, and Phillip Rivers has struggled, but this is a great matchup, and he's playable in a pinch. Pittsburgh Steelers tight end Eric Ebron comes back from their premature bye week to face the Philadelphia Eagles. He's a fine gamble for owners who are looking for a fill-in tight end, or even a flex play. Philadelphia has permitted the position to score once every six and a half catches, which is the fourth highest rate. Just four teams have allowed more yards and more catches to the position in 2020, and a little extra time to prepare works in Pittsburgh's favor. Be sure to stay up on the latest news and notes, especially with COVID-19's impact on fantasy football. For more information, check out thehuddle.com. Uh, in my own words, I'll call it soft. Um, we got to hold ourselves to a higher standard. Um, we got to play together as one. Um, and I don't feel like um, we're holding ourselves accountable, including myself. So uh, it's not no surprise. Uh, I mean, we just got to do a better job of compare, I mean, um, preparing and, you know, really come with our full hearts in the game and play this game for 60 minutes straight. Uh, it's just all about bowing down and really showing, you know, that you're a real man out there and um, playing together. That's an indictment by uh, Demarcus Loris, isn't it, KD? I mean, to, to say that the defense is soft and the word preparing stuck out to me too. We got to prepare better. It seems like he's talking about the players, but I think that's the whole regime, right? Everyone's got to do a better job to get guys in the right spots and to fix this thing because right now it's it's the JV team. It's the JV defense out there, and, and that's what we're seeing. But man, to call the defense soft is, uh, man, what an indictment that was. Football is a team sport that has individual accountability. And that's really what we're looking at right now with the Dallas Cowboys defense. Yes, it's an issue with the scheme that they came in. They probably should have done a better job preparing for the season. They did a high, They wanted to do a hybrid thanks to Mike Nolan and his defensive scheme. We all know I've made it very clear I'm not a fan of Mike Nolan. He had this idea of a hybrid defensive scheme, 40 front, 30 front, mix it up, even an odd, all that kind of stuff to try to confuse offenses about how they were going to attack with this myriad of talent that they have on defense, supposedly. They didn't have the offseason, so they didn't get a chance to be implemented. But there still should be enough talent in this group that the Cowboys don't look like what they look like on Sunday. 
they began freelancing. They they basically gave up on trying to play Mike Nolan's system and wanted to do what they wanted individually. You can't do that in football. It, it'll burn you every time. I don't care how good you are. You can't freelance on defense. And that appeared to be what a lot of the players were doing. So whether or not a lot of these guys got to get benched, I don't know. They signed Everson Griffin. He's been missing in action for four games. Alden Smith has had dynamic games and then not very good games. Demarcus Lawrence is, he was the only person getting in the backfield on rushing plays to be able to get tackles for loss. He still doesn't have a sack for the season. So you're getting bits and pieces of quality play. And the question is, do you get to the point where if these guys that are veterans aren't able to buy into the system and aren't able to adapt and play within themselves, do you start playing guys that might have lesser talent and lesser experience in order to have a more cohesive unit? I think the Cowboys are about to get to that point. I won't say that they'll do that against the Giants, but if the Giants come out with this offense that's only scored three touchdowns in four weeks and exposed to the Cowboys defense, then it's going to be time to start shaking things up. Throughout our uh, six episodes now, you know, I've been I've been lobbying for KD as the Cowboys GM. I love it when you put on your GM hat or maybe you hop in the time <laughs> machine. We've talked about this. But how much do people point at the guy pressing all the buttons? How much do people in Cowboys Nation look at Jerry Jones? You know, he brings in Nolan, who you've been critical of, KD. He brings in Mike McCarthy, who this is an old school guy, right? And you look around the league, like what's being successful right now? Matt LaFleur, right? Sean McVay, Kevin Stefanski across the uh, the sidelines on Sunday, Kyle Shanahan even in uh, San Fran. Young minds, young new school thinking, forward thinking coaches, right? Not the old school guys. Mike Nolan's an old school guy. Mike McCarthy's like the yeah. oldest school. Now they're here, and it's not really surprising to me that it, they're struggling so much. And you got to look at Jerry, not only for the guys he's hired, but for all the resources he's dumped into the offense. And the elephant in the room is they still have to address Dak's contract. So they have to dump more money on the offensive side of the football. And it makes me worried, like, how do you start fixing the defense when, yeah, you drafted a lot of guys in the draft this year, but who was your first round pick? C.D. Lamb. You're still pouring the resources into the offense. And it's like all the pieces on offense is great and you can have all that. But Dak can throw for 500 yards and you can still lose football games and really not be all that close. We saw that on Sunday, right? So how much blame should we be pointing right at the top to Jerry and like, Give KD the GM role or anyone. Like, give somebody <laughs> this role because I'm not sure if he's building a team that's really built for success. And we're going to be banging our heads against the wall for years here, it feels like. Well, that's pretty much what's been happening to Cowboys fans. They've been banging their heads against the wall when it comes to Jerry Johnson, the way that he stewarded this ship. It is a serious problem, but the issue is there's nowhere to go. He's not going to fire himself. He's going to turn the <laughs> reins of the franchise over to Stephen Jones. Fire himself. Stephen Jones is already, yeah, he, he, he's already taken over a bunch of the team. You know, Jerry Jones is still the face of the franchise, but Stephen Jones, as far as the day-to-day operations of the club, it's really Stephen Jones' show now, which is even more depressing for Cowboys fans because Seriously. the transition has actually been made and it's not getting any better. Oh, man. I will say this. The Cowboys weren't wrong in selecting C.D. Lamb with the first pick. There is way too much talent there. You don't make draft picks for the immediate. You make draft picks for the future of your team. And the future of the NFL is offense. There's no bones about it. If you have a strong offense, you can compete. If you have a strong offense, even when your defense is as bad as it looks, you're capable of scoring 24 points in the blink of an eye in the fourth quarter to bring yourselves back into this game. If the Cowboys weren't turning the ball over, these defensive performances could be overcome. They gave up way too many possessions when it came to uh, the Atlanta game, when it came to Seattle, when it came to the game on Sunday against Cleveland. The strip sack on Dak Prescott was debilitating. The Ezekiel Elliott fumble when he landed on a Cleveland Brown and another Brown knocked the ball out was debilitating. 
those sorts of things, when you have a defense that can't stop anybody and you're giving the opposing team a short field, are the offense's contribution to the defense being so bad. Now, we can talk about Mike McCarthy all we want, and I faded him in our most recent episode of Catch This Fade. He is responsible for hiring Mike Nolan and Joe Philbin and all of these mistakes that we're seeing on the field. He is ultimately responsible. But let's not lose track of the fact that the Cowboys' offense is scoring at a rate that is the best in the league. They have the league's best offense. There's no doubt about that. When you look at what's going on, they barely use Ezekiel Elliott in the running game anymore. He is a multiple-time rushing champion as far as yards per game. This is a great offense that is having issues holding on to the ball, and they don't normally have those issues. If you look back at the history of Dak Prescott, he doesn't fumble, he doesn't throw interceptions, and Ezekiel Elliott doesn't fumble. So right now, they're kind of in a position where a small sample size is changing people's opinions of what they're watching. I agree with you wholeheartedly about the defense, but there's a great philosophy that says you pay your stars on offense and you keep drafting defense to make sure that you can replace these guys when it comes time to pay them because offense is king in the NFL. They just have to get to the point where they have an acceptable defense. Kansas City didn't have a good defense last year when they won the title. They had an acceptable defense. They got hot in some games, but overall, they were just an average defense. The way to win in the NFL is to have an explosive offense that teams cannot stop and have a defense that doesn't shoot you in the foot. Right now, the Cowboys defense is shooting them in the foot, which is making everybody question the entire product. But the offense is okay. Mike Nolan was a bad hire. I hope that he figures out a way to turn it around. But if he doesn't, it will be on these players to figure out a way to do what they do best within his scheme. Because when the calls come in, you have to have individual accountability to your responsibility or else the guy next to you cannot depend on what you're going to do and everything falls apart. The defense is unacceptable right now. A chance to get acceptable. Closer to acceptable, KD, against these Giants. But you've been warning. You've been warning. Look out for Jason Garrett's Giants over there, right? You know The Jason Garrett factor. Let's talk about what is just an amazing uh, matchup between the league's most terrible offense and the league's most terrible defense. We'll get into this matchup here coming up. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and BetSlippin' Podcasts, and I'm joined by my colleague Jeff Clark. Here's what you need to know to bet on Week 5 Sunday night football matchup between the Minnesota Vikings and Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks are favored to win by seven points at home. Seahawks plus seven road dogs over under 57 and a half points. Jeff, I know we're both on the Seahawks to win this game and cover the seven points. How do you feel about that over under? Yes, and I'm on the over in this game. Both the Vikings and the Seahawks have gone over the total in three of their four games this season. The Vikings have scored 30-plus in three of their four games, and the Seahawks have scored 30-plus in all four games. Also, a nice little trend here. The over is cash in four of the last five Seahawks primetime home games, with the other game being a push. Overs are abundant in the NFL this season. The sportsbooks are starting to take note. This 57.5 figure, way too high. Sunday Night Football matchup, boosting that up as well. Check out sportsbookwire.com for more with all odds from BetMGM Sportsbook. Subscribe to BetSlippin' Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. All right, man. I know you have uh, opinions, Katie, on this matchup. Uh, old friend Jason Garrett. I think he might have some bones to pick with Dallas, right? He's, whatever intel he's yeah. got on Prescott, whatever intel he's got 
on how to like slow down this offense. I think he's going to be in that film room kind of trying to figure it out. And the Giants defense actually has not been putrid. They've been like middle of the pack. They've been okay. It's the Giants offense that's been absolutely dreadful. The Giants can't score. So a chance for the Cowboys offense to continue to roll and a chance for the defense, let's, let's hope, to have an acceptable performance, as you were just saying in the last segment, right? An acceptable performance against the league's most dreadful, terrible offense that can't score touchdowns. Here's the scary part. <laughs> Jason Garrett was well known to be a conservative coach to not use trick plays. Very well known. To not basically have any creativity when it came to the offense. He wanted to line up. He wanted to do what his team did best and then beat you that way. He clearly, clearly by what we've seen so far earlier in this season, was playing conservative to try to mask some of the deficiencies of his team. The Giants have absolutely no offensive identity right now. Daniel Jones is still a turnover machine. They don't have Saquon Barkley. They cannot score. I already said three touchdowns in four games. Unacceptable. Jason Garrett is going to see what Cleveland just did with the Jarvis Landry pass, Odell Beckham, the wide receiver end arounds, all of those sorts of things, the trick plays that made Dallas look oh so foolish and incapable. And Jason Garrett is going to pull out every single trick in the book in order to get this win when he returns to AT&T Stadium. It's not just that the Cowboys and the Giants are playing. It's that Jason Garrett is returning to the place that was his. That was his house for a decade. Jason Garrett was the man in charge for a decade. And not only did they not bring him back, which was acceptable, it was time for him to go. And I was one of the bigger Jason Garrett supporters. But then they held him on a string. They didn't fire him right away. They didn't. They basically didn't tell him that he was done. He was still meeting with players and meeting with coaches up until the day that they hired Mike McCarthy. So that whole thing probably left a horrible taste in his mouth. And he would love nothing better than to come into AT&T Stadium and put a whooping on the Cowboys. Now, I don't think they have the personnel to do so, but stranger things have happened when it comes to rivalry games in the NFC East. I would not put it past them to come in there and at least be competitive. And if all things are still as bad as they looked in Cleveland, and they looked bad against Cleveland, in Dallas, I should say, against Cleveland, mm-hmm. if things still look like that on defense, there might be a surprise and all hell is going to break loose if this Cowboys team loses to Jason Garrett. Now, I know, KD, from consuming your uh, content on The Wire and on your Twitter and stuff like that, like you feel like the Cowboys getting nine points. I think you're, you're not okay with that. You think that's a little bit too much points for the way they're playing football right now and considering the Jason Garrett factor. And, and I like that. Jason Garrett, he's going to go against his own methods. He's going to throw the kitchen sink at him. I got to like that. I got to like that take. Why wouldn't uh, you? Why course, wouldn't you? Wait, at this point? this is the time. This is the time to do it, right? And if the Giants can win this ball game, all of a sudden they're right back in the NFC East race. We can talk about that too, but we'll, we'll try not to bash the <laughs> NFC East in this division. Man, the spread. It's unacceptable. There's, <laughs> it's no, unacceptable. there's no way. It's unacceptable. The, the Cowboys have held the lead for seven offensive snaps so far in 2020. <laughs> seven. Across four games, across 240 minutes, they've had seven offensive snaps where they held the lead. I thought it was 11, but that got corrected today. Seven snaps with the lead in 2020. There's no way that a team that only has seven snaps with the lead this year through a quarter of the season should be favored by anything more than a field goal in any game (laughs) against any opponent. That is ridiculous. But they'll probably end up winning by 15. But still, it's ridiculous for the spread to be at nine points right now. No, you got to listen to yourself, Katie. You said the same thing last week. You you <laughs> told us all about how the Browns were going to run on them all day and that it was going to be a problem. And then you said, no, nah, I still think the Cowboys are going to cover the spread, right? You know, so you you got to stick to your guns, man. Take the points. Take the points, Katie. Take the points. Take the points. <laughs> I, I, I have one of these things when I, when I do place a wager with Monopoly money. 
I tend to just avoid Cowboys games. If I don't like the spread, I, I rarely bet against them for them not to cover just because I'm one of those guys that has some semblance of belief in jinxes and all that kind of stuff, which, by the way, in our predictions thread on Cowboys Wire that we run every week, I'm 0-4 in the season. So I'm just going to start picking that they lose yeah, every yeah, game, yeah, and then yeah. that way they can just do the opposite. But I try not to bet against the Cowboys or bet against them not to cover because, you know, I'm still emotional about that sort of thing. So I just avoid the Cowboys in situations like this. I would not put any units on this game based on my personal preference of not winning for the Cowboys sucking. Well, man, well, hey, what a franchise, though. They keep giving us content. Yeah. It's still it's still like it's just good stuff. I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week. It is it is amazing how much fodder they give us yes. that you don't even have to be clickbaity. Like some teams, you have to be clickbaited to get people to care. You don't have to do that with the Cowboys. They'll give you something new and improved every week. We'll see what happens. Giants, Cowboys, the Garrett Bowl. I can't wait for that. We'll, we'll break it down next week, man. Have a great one. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.